Let me try that again. We are salt and light. For one another, we are salt. We enhance one another. We iron sharpening iron. We are working together. As salt, we are also preservative of a rotting, dark, and dying world. We are preserving this world for the kingdom. We are a light to the world. We point the way to Jesus, and He has shown us the way that we, He would like for us to be. He has set the standard. He has given us our marching orders, and He has shown us the way a disciple should look. So would you all pray with me as we get started this morning? Father, I thank you so much for a chance to be in your house. Thank you that we live still in a country where we can come freely without concern of anyone busting through doors or someone coming to uh, take us away because we are free to worship you. Lord, that's not the case for all of our brothers and sisters around the world. We pray for them this morning that they will continue to worship and serve you with boldness. May they be a light in a dark and dying world where they are. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to come here and to open your word and a chance to stand before your people here at First Baptist and to uh, give prayerfully a message from you, uh, not simply some, some words that I wrote down earlier in the week. Lord, we love you. To your name we pray. Amen. We have been following the Sermon on the Mount. As I created this particular sermon title screen, I, I always have to save them because of the way our program works. They have to have a different name. So this one, I, I, I just say it's week whatever. But believe it or not, this is week 10 that we have been in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not in any hurry. We're walking through this passage, these three chapters, so that we can better understand what Jesus wants for us as his disciples, what he would like for us to look like, the way that we would would act, if you will, the way that we would be perceived. And today we're walking into chapter 6, and we will get there in a moment. But before we get there, I want to remind you, if you went around door to door, if you went in your neighborhood and you knocked on every door and you asked this question, why don't you go to church? you would get multiple answers. Some of those you would get would be, um, the services are boring. Um, I pray, pray that that is not the case here at First Baptist. My, my first mentor in student ministry taught me that the 11th commandment is thou shalt not bore. So, so, so though I pray, I pray that you receive a message from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit, every week that I stand up here, I also pray that you don't walk away bored. There have been times... I've been bored myself, and that's a bad sign. But we pray that it is not boring. We also have, have the excuse that it lasts too long. We shoot for 60 to 75 minutes here. Hopefully that's not too long for you to sit. We've given you comfortable chairs so that you, you know, because they say that the, the mind and the heart can only take in what the rump can endure. So we don't really want that to be a reason. And, and Peg and I just got back from New York recently and, and we had the opportunity to worship at the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn. And um, their meeting, we went to the noon service and we had to leave in time to catch our plane, and when we left, they had been going for two hours and 15 minutes. I get a little nervous in my spirit when I know that I've got a lot to say, and we go to like an hour and 10. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're pushing it. What are people going to say? The New York minute, the idea that the, those in New York are always in a hurry isn't the case when they sit to worship. 
two hours and 15 minutes. Now, relax, I'm not bringing that to Athens. You know, we're not going to go there necessarily. But, but the services are boring. They last too long. All they want is my money. And I can understand if someone isn't aware of the ways of Christ and he's, they're not aware that we are supposed to bring our tithe into the storehouse and it would sound like all we want is money. But I told you a couple of weeks ago, we don't want your money, we want you. Then we'll let Jesus take care of transforming anything in you that has to be transformed so that you're obedient in your giving. That's up to you and the Holy Spirit. That's not up to us. We don't just want your money. We want you. You say, I don't like organized religion. There are those who say, I'm very spiritual, but I don't, I don't deal with Christianity or I don't even deal with Islam or Hindu. I don't like organized religion. I'm just a spiritual person. I've got a response for that one, but it shouldn't be said up here. Um, also, the church is gotten too political is another one that you may hear. But the most common excuse, especially here in the Bible Belt, especially here where, where people have gone to church often most of their life because that's just what you do on a Sunday, the excuse you will often hear is because the church is full of hypocrites. I could say we're guilty as charged. But here's what they have to understand. We're not a civic group. We're not a country club, we're, eat, we're not even a gathering of the, but for the grace of God, there go I, society. We are a local assembly of sinners who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, who meet regularly to exalt Jesus, to equip the saints, and to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed sinners, but still, we are sinners, and the sin of hypocrisy is just one of the sins that we have to struggle with. And now that I've made that admission, that if we had the opportunity, we would say, yes, you're right, we are, we are hypocrites, we are sinners, there's really actually a fuller explanation that needs to be given. You see, most of the time, when most people refer to others as hypocrites, they are doing so incorrectly because they are incorrectly defining the word. What, what our accusers mean is, y'all claim to be better than me, but you make mistakes, and to use your word, you sin as much as if not more than I do. That's what they will look at as a hypocrite. And given the opportunity, we would, we would agree with them but we, that we do sin. We are not perfect. We, we are here because we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. And that's not really what the word means anyway. We are not hypocrites because we want to do better and fail. That's just being human. You see, a hypocrite in the New Testament era, at that time that, that when that word was used, it referred to a Greco-Roman actor who wore different masks to play various roles. So they would play this role, they'd wear a mask. They'd play this role, they'd wear a different mask. And they were wearing a mask to pretend to be something they are not. In the New Testament, when Jesus and others use the word hypocrite, they're referring to a person who professes beliefs and opinions that he or she do not hold in order to conceal his or her actual feelings or motives. In short, a hypocrite is a liar. A fake, a person pretending to be one thing when they are really something else altogether. Does the church, does First Baptist Athens have people who fit this definition of hypocrite? 
Yes, we do. But wanting to be like Jesus and failing, and asking for forgiveness and failing again, and so on, does not make one a hypocrite. We do have hypocrites. People who use the right lingo and they they stand when they should stand and they sit when they should sit. They make verbal claims and use the right terminology about following Jesus. and, And they talk about making Him the Lord or making Him the boss of their lives. They know all the facts because they've grown up in church, but their hearts are far from Him. They fake it. To fool those who see their external behaviors. They're wearing a mask like a Greek actor. But they are really something else. They fake it to fool the others around them. They fake it to fool themselves even. They fake it feebly, if you will, to try and even fool God. So last week, two trains passed at 8.30... And none passed during 11. This morning, none passed in 8.30. And so far, we've had one at 11. So I'd like the train folks to get on a schedule, if they don't mind. Um, So they make these verbal claims. Jesus himself defines what it means to be a hypocrite when he speaks straight out of Isaiah 29, when he says in Matthew 15, verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. When he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Today we are beginning Matthew chapter 6. Jesus has walked us to this point in his sermon. He has shown us what it means to be what he would consider a normal citizen of the kingdom when he gave us the Beatitudes. It wasn't a super Christian. It wasn't someone who is going well above and beyond. This is what a typical believer ought to be. And then he moves into and says, if you live your life that way, you will naturally be salt and light in this world. And then he got into that section that we just finished in Matthew chapter 5, where he is given a fuller, a more complete understanding and interpretation of the law. It all came to the motives. It, you're, not just, not, you're not just going to keep from murdering someone. You're not even going to have the anger in your heart that would cause you to. And you're not going to treat someone to, that would, in a way that would cause them to have anger in their heart towards you that would lead them toward murder. And he talked about all these different, you've heard it said. And now he's moving, he's going to get right up in our business when it comes to our spiritual activity. It's one thing, you may say, for Jesus to talk about how we treat one another, but now he's going to talk about hypocrites. And he didn't use, he didn't use the term hypocrites when talking about our relations with other people in Matthew 5. He uses it as he talks about how we are in our spiritual disciplines, the things we do that we say we're doing for God. And, and honestly, in many cases, we are actually absolutely not doing it for God. Dallas Willard says, desire for religious respect or reputation will immediately drag us into the rightness of the scribes and Pharisees. Because that desire always focuses entirely upon the visible action, not on the source of the action in the heart. Jesus gives us things to look at in our lives that will help us determine if we are motivated by respect or praise for others, Or if we are motivated by a desire to serve and honor God. 
as we get started, we need to understand, according to this section of Scripture that we're now moving into, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, we cannot be both. You cannot strive for the applause of man and the applause of God, because those are often counter to one another. He is basically saying you are either given Jesus 100%, you are serving God 100%, or you are not serving Him at all. You say, well, Kenan, I think my motivation is to serve God, and I, and I think in my heart I've decided, you know, 95%. I'll give God 95% of who I am. If that's you, then you are basically serving yourself. Because you, in your heart, you have determined to leave room for this division. There's a difference between the person who knowingly gives God 75, 85, or 95% of their heart, and let's say the person who, if, if you were really able to break it down into percentages, they in actuality give him 75 or 85 or 95%, but their heart is determined to serve God. See, we can be determined to serve him. We can have the motivation to serve him. Will we still fail? Absolutely. Will we still fall short? Of course we will. We're sinners saved by grace. But we are in our hearts determined to serve him. So there's a difference between the person who is determined and fails from time to time versus the person who has cognitively, in their own consciousness, decided, I'm not giving God this part of my life. Because when we do that, we have set up idols. And we're not serving Him, we're serving ourselves. So moving forward, only you and the Holy Spirit know for sure if you are a 100% devotion to God person who makes mistakes, or if you are a person who has made the determination in your heart to hold back. That feels like it just got real. Feels like we're setting ourselves up and I don't want to be a spoiler, you know, spoiler alert and that kind of thing, but Jesus is about to get in our face. Daniel Doriani, he said, the difference between a disciple and a hypocrite lies more in intentions than in practices. Hypocrites want to be seen, but disciples live for an audience of one, their father who sees everything. So what is your motivation for doing good works? What is your motivation for following and, and taking care of and being disciplined in spiritual matters? Is it number one, for the sake of reputation? The very first thing on the back of your bulletin, for the sake of reputation. And we got to keep two things in mind as we move forward. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So on one hand, it seems like Jesus might be double speaking. Because he's saying, do good works to be seen. However, we have to keep it clear why you're supposed to be seen. Not to further your reputation, but to further his. Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He has a standard. It has what the people are used to seeing. And he's saying it's got to be more than that. We've already talked about that. So look at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 6. Catch what he says. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Remember way back 10 weeks ago when we talked about the audience who would have been sitting there to hear Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount? They, they, have been, uh, they have been led to follow the example of Pharisees and scribes. Now to us, 2,000 years later, we look back on the Pharisees and scribes because we've had the ability to read the entire story that we look at them a li- and kind of look down on them a little bit. We look at them as if they, uh, we know that they're called uh, vipers and we know that Jesus uh, calls them out on a lot of things. So we don't have a great view of Pharisees and scribes. But in Jesus' day, they were to be emulated. They were to be people who were looked to as example. So they would have been shocked when Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Because that's who those they're supposed to emulate, that's how they did it. They walked around with their robes and their their tassels and their their, their, uh, things going on that were meant to show them to be pious people. But he says, beware. That word in the Greek is a present imperative. It's a command calling for constant vigilance. It's not be concerned about it today and don't worry about it tomorrow. It is every day, all the time, be cautious. Be aware that you're not doing what you're doing for God for the sake of other people to be seeing it. Daniel Aiken reminds us, he's the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, he reminds us that this remaining constantly vigilant means there is an important question we should ask of ourselves continually concerning our acts of righteousness. He says, why am I doing them? Is my motivation for doing good works, is it a desire to honor and glorify my God? Or is it my desire to gain glory and praise for myself through the applause of men? If it is the latter... You can be certain of one thing. You have no reward with your Father in heaven. An earthly goal will get you an earthly earthly reward and nothing more. Men may praise you, but your heavenly Father will not. And that should sober us a little bit. What are we doing that is more for the praise of man than for the praise of God? So Jesus is going to give us three spiritual disciplines here that we are, we, he's going to use as examples. I don't want you to do what a lot of folks like to do. They say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that, right? He mentions giving, he mentions prayer, and he mentions fasting. But these are representative of all aspects of what we do for God. So service. Some of you today are planning on going out and you're going to pass out home goods, home-baked goods to folks who have moved into our area. It's a great program. John Crocker is set up. It's going really well so far. Y'all going to be doing that today. Are you doing it for Jesus or are you doing it for the applause of those who see you do it? He's talking about those who read their Bible. Do you remember back in the day when you'd come into Sunday school and you had to mark, I brought my Bible today. I read my Bible daily. Y'all remember those? Am I the only one? Come on, somebody tell me. Somebody, okay, good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you only brought your Bible and read your Bible so that you could check that box, that's for the applause of man. That's so that you can receive your perfect attendance award for Sunday school. That's so you can receive the, the perfect attendance and reading and bringing your Bible, that sort of thing. And I'll be honest with you, if that's the reason you did it, when you received that pen, that's your reward already. The Heavenly Father of ours won't honor 
what we do for our own personal gain. So he gives us three areas. He mentions giving, prayer, and fasting. First off, start off with giving. Uh, chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Thus, so what he just said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He says, when you give. Not if, but when. There's an inference there that you are going to be giving. Given now, the question is, are you giving out of the sake of your own reputation or are you giving for, for God when you give? Now, he mentions sounding the trumpet. This is actually a little bit hyperbole, but not completely, because in the Greco-Roman world, benefactors wanted recognition for their donations. So they would, they would actually sound trumpets when they gave to different, different issues. The names of these benefactors were carved into public roads and buildings that they paid to erect. Almost sounds like our universities and our colleges. I'll never forget, and I still refuse to call Commonwealth Stadium where Kentucky plays football. I'm going to say it for y'all's benefit, but I don't call it Kroger Field. Kroger gave a certain amount of money, so they got their name on the field. To me, it'll always be Commonwealth Stadium. I've been to places where they're taking up money at the cash register. You know what I'm talking about? You go in and they're, they're, they're collecting for March of Dimes or they're collecting for Habitat for Humanity or they're, they're collecting for whatever particular uh, charity they're collecting for that day. And they ask you, would you like to round up? Or would you like to give to this particular thing? And, and I've given, and the next thing you know, somebody's ringing a bell. Y'all ever been there and, and seen that happen? Now, in that instance, I'm not ringing my own bell. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not doing that. Someone else is doing it. But the point was to not do it in a way that would bring attention to yourself. The warning does not need much elaboration. Are you doing it for the praise of man? He said, then you got your reward already. But look at prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and they may, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He's speaking of a, in the synagogue. That refers to Jews. He's talking about Gentiles, those who are not children of God, those who are not following Yahweh. So he's got these two different basic uh, categories of religious activity by these folks. And it, the, the Jews would stand up and pray out loud in public in their synagogues. The Gentiles would repeat over and over the, word, the names of their gods. It was mindless. It was mechanical. It was just repetitious. It wasn't earnest repetition that flows from an imploring heart. It was just, they're, they're saying it out. They're trying to sound important. They're trying to sound pious. And then he mentions fasting in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, 
For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, it may be seen by others. They would actually, and when, when the Jews were fasting, they would put ash on their heads. They would tear their clothes and they would walk around like that so that you could see that they were pious. And you could see they were being spiritual today because they're fasting. Jesus says, don't be like that. If you're doing it for man, you've got your reward already. As soon as they say, look how pious, look how spiritual, look how good this person is, that is the only reward you receive. We know the scriptures that say, lay up your treasures in heaven. In fact, we're going to get to that possibly next week. Lay up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. You don't lay any treasures in heaven when you're like that. So a summary for these first three things he mentions. The, the, when you are doing it for the sake of your reputation, he doesn't forbid public acts. He told us, as we mentioned earlier in chapter 5, that we are to be lights that shine. We are to be salt of the earth. What he forbids is public displays for the sake of ego. What is your motivation? Are you serving God? Are you here today? Are you sitting in this chair in this room? Or if you come to Sunday school, simply that you can say and be seen by others that you're doing your Southern spiritual Christianity duty, that you are in church like you're supposed to be? Or are you here because you want to learn from God and be transformed by him? Are you doing it for the sake of your reputation? Or your second point, for the sake of righteousness? Are you following Jesus? Are you doing the things that he would have you to do? Or do you do and partake and do events of spiritual discipline because you want to be doing an act of righteousness for God? One commentator put it this way. This rebuke of hypocrisy also has a positive agenda. Disciples avoid public displays of piety. The hypocrite gives to the poor not so much for the sake of the poor as for his own reputation. His disciples give, pray, and fast. They hardly notice what they do. They attend to neither self-image or public image. Righteousness is not a performance. It's a spontaneous action. So what does Jesus say our giving is supposed to look like? If you go back and you're looking at for the sake of righteousness and you give for the sake of righteousness, we'll move back to verse 3 and we'll give his explanation but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is his point? We've used that phrase. We use that phrase a lot. They don't know what the left, the left hand don't know what the right hand's doing. I messed that up again. I messed that up in the first service. But you've been, so, you've probably used that phrase. You've been somewhere. You've walked in and, and they, they, they don't have your reservation ready. They, you, they told you that you were squared away, ready to go. But then you get there and the people who are actually behind the counter don't know what's going on. They don't, their left hand don't know what their right hand's doing. We've made comments that way. But what is Jesus's point? He says, you're to have no agenda. He says, you don't give for the sake of others to look at you. You don't give for the sake of bolstering your own spiritual ego, even for yourself. If you don't know what your, if your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, that's a personal invitation to just be obedient, not even to boister your own spiritual ego. 
there's a sensitive aspect of this that I feel like I need to address. And this is part of the um, burden, you could say, of walking straight through Scripture. You can't skip things. If I skip the hard things, y'all be coming back going, well, he don't even preach on that. He skips on that. This principle infers that giving is with no strings attached. If we're not supposed to advertise it, if we're not supposed to announce it or proclaim our giving, we're supposed to do it in secret. That means we don't give for the purpose of power or control or agenda. Personal power, personal control, personal agenda. I have actually been in churches. I'm thankful to say First Baptist is not one of them. So y'all can relax a little bit. I have actually been in churches where when you walk in, every pew has a family's name on it. They, they have done some sort of building program. They've done some sort of renovation, kind of like what we're doing now. And the way they earned, gained money and the way they, they fundraised for that is you have the ability to purchase that pew and we will put a gold plaque on it with your family's name. That's against this principle. You say, Kenan, that's... Now, have you looked around? We've got some gold plaques, and I know I'm on very thin ice here, okay? So, and I understand the sensitivity of this topic, so, so just bear with me for a moment. If we are going to be people of the Word, and if we are going to follow all the principles of the Word as best we can, there is no doubt... Matthew chapter 6 speaks to the idea of us putting um, us putting gold plaques on things. Now, let me be clear. You will not find me or the staff or anyone else walking around the church taking off gold plaques. Here's what I would like to say about this as we move forward, that today is a new day moving forward. I say that because the past, we can't do anything about the past. But this is a principle straight out of God's word. And following this principle means we give with no strings attached. I also want to be clear on, on this issue. I have not had anyone come to me personally and say, I gave that. I paid for that, so you have to get my permission before you move it, remove it, decorate it. I've not had anything like that happen to the benefit of our folks here at First Baptist. That's, that's to be honored. But I have had individuals worried when we talked about, even in this remodeling, some things that are going to be adjusted and some things that we've had some folks worried because they know there were some folks who gave this or gave that or did paid the money for this or that, and they're worried that that individual, that family would be bothered. You see where I'm, what I'm talking about? That that causes disunity rather than unity. Jesus is, is, 
Of course, I was about to say Jesus is very smart. Of course he is. He's God, right? So, so Jesus understands that we can, be, um, we can be drawn in by things like this. So he's teaching us against it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your heavenly Father will be the one to reward you. He'll give us joy. He'll give us peace. He will give us blessings that we can't fathom. But God's rewards are also, his blessings are a funny thing. If you give to be rewarded, then you won't be rewarded. Because again, you're giving with self-interest in mind. If you give strictly out of obedience for God, because that's what he's called us to do, then he sees it and he blesses you. Not necessarily financially, but he blesses you. We don't name it and claim it. We don't blab it and grab it. We don't obey to be blessed. We are blessed because we obey. Our motivation is, to, is for obedience. Our motivation is to be like Jesus, and the outcome is blessing from our, heaven, our Father in heaven. And if you don't think that was not a difficult passage to just preach through right there, then you ought to come try it. Because friends, again, we have individuals who give anonymously as they should. We have individuals, you know how it's it's set up. We, We as a staff don't even know who gives what. It's not about knowing what you give because James teaches us about watching out for uh, being partial to people, about showing, showing partiality. And that in our human nature is one of the things that can lead us to that. He also talks about our prayer life in verse six. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. If we only pray when we're called upon to pray in public, our prayers tend to be repetitious because we are not in the habit of praying. So the issue isn't that we shouldn't pray in public, but instead our public prayer should be a continuation of the prayers we do privately. Our motivation is as in prayer is communion with our Father. So we ask two questions that will help us determine what is our motivation in prayer. Are you motivated by your own spiritual reputation or are you motivated out of righteousness? Number one, do you pray longer in public than you do in private? Do you pray longer in public than you do in private? And secondly, do you pray differently in public than you do in private? Do you worry about flowery words? Do you worry about sounding theological when you're praying in public, when you're not praying, more so than when you're praying in private? You know, I find when I pray in private, it's, it's a conversation. When I'm, when I'm thinking about the most intimate relationship I have here on earth with my wife, I don't, I don't pray and talk with her. I don't talk with her differently than I talk with people, not her. I talk with her in an intimate way. I talk with her in a way that, that she understands me. I talk, talk in a way where she and I can communicate. Sometimes we change our words. Sometimes we change when we're praying. We'll start doing like the, it mentions in the, uh, the pagans and the Gentiles who repeat the names of their God over and over and over. Sometimes we use what we call filler words when we're trying to get a thought. 
I understand sometimes we feel like we can't. You ever feel this way? That you can't, if you're praying out loud, there can't be dead silent space? Anybody? Come on, somebody tell me that. Somebody agree that, that you feel like if you're praying out loud, there can't be silence. You can't have a moment. But that's not the way we converse with people. We don't have to take a breath deep and just run right through it for fear that there's going to be silence in the, in the moment. That when you're silent and you're thinking through what you're praying, that's coming from your heart. That's not just repetition of what you always pray. So Jesus says, don't do it like that. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And then fasting, he says, and much quicker, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we don't walk around saying, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting. We don't walk around and John Crocker says, I need you to help me move this thing, Kenan. Oh, I can't. I'm weak today because I'm fasting. We don't bring attention to ourselves. However, there is nothing wrong with admitting you're fasting. There's almost a, there's almost a pride issue on the other side that we try to keep it to ourselves to the point. And I've had people take it to the extreme. I've asked a friend to go to lunch and they just say no. And of course, I, I'm like a bulldog on a bone when I want something. So I just keep asking, why won't you go to lunch with me? And they keep on, no, I'm not going, I'm not going. And I start, you know, giving him grief because he's a buddy of mine. And finally he says, Cannon, I'm fasting. Oh, my bad, bro. Right? But all, there's nothing wrong if he would have looked at me and said at the beginning of it, I can't go to lunch with you all today, I'm fasting. Because that's not bringing attention to himself, that's just letting me know. Actually, the more I kept on, and then finally when he said it, it almost brought a little more attention to him that way. You see what I'm saying? So, so we're to not worry about it. We can say it, but we're not to bring attention to ourselves. The theme of this section when it comes to our righteous acts as disciples, is that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will reward you. We have to have the long view perspective. Sometimes we feel like we have to get ours now. Sometimes we have a wrong theological view of what it means to, to know that we have reward coming, that we are laying up treasures in heaven, and that anything that happens here on this earth is temporal, and we can't take it with us anyway. Nothing here lasts. Everything in eternity lasts. So he sets us up for reward when we follow him. As I close and wasting the band comes, I, it's written on the bottom of your bulletin, there's some personal reflection that we all need to deal with this week. Every single one of us. There isn't a person under the sound of my voice in this room or watching online. There is no one that doesn't need to deal with. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to deal with this personal reflection. Why do I engage in spiritual disciplines like giving, praying, fasting, serving, Bible reading, etc.? Am I trying to please God to be seen by others or am I trying to satisfy my own spiritual ambitions to make God love me more? And see that last one. There's a lot of believers who have a misunderstanding of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. You see, there's nothing you can do 
that will make, you, make him love you more. And not because, and, and that, that almost sounds negative, but you have to keep in mind, the story of the gospel is his perfect love is given to you. There is no other way he could love you more. How much more does he have to show you? He gave his son for you. He himself, wrapped up in human flesh, came and died for you. You can't make him love you more. So why do we do what we do? Well, only one answer is appropriate. We do it because we desire to increase in him. If we desire being seen by others to increase our own spiritual reputation, or if we are trying to satisfy our own misguided efforts to make God love us more, then we are guilty of idolatry. We're serving ourselves instead of God. 